Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I'll begin today with a brief confession. The audio I'm about to play for you, I am playing, for the most part, just to stir the pot. And I listen, I hate to be that way. Sometimes we just kind of are that way. We just can't help but like, you know, I don't know, fan the flames a, a little bit. But the truth is, is the guy that speaks is Aaron Murray, the former Georgia quarterback. We like him. We wouldn't intentionally sensationalize his words. The guy that he's talking about is Jermaine Burton now at Alabama. But even still, we like Jermaine had, you know, great respect for him as a player and don't have any reason to dislike him even though he's you know kind of moved on here don't necessarily wish Alabama well but don't have any ill feelings towards Burton so we're not looking to unfairly you know tarnish Burton here on on any of this either but sometimes it's just sort of too juicy to ignore and there's a comment out there right now from the former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray that I do think is while it's kind of just sort of fun to to react to a hot take and watch Alabama fans probably work themselves into a little bit of a lather over it, it also, I think, sets us up for a pretty interesting conversation here, too, about playmakers on both sides of both the SEC and national championship games from a year ago. So let me set the scene for you this way, and then we'll kind of get into the conversation. Aaron Murray, always pretty outspoken guy, was on one of those uh, serious XM shows. They have like an SEC this morning. I forget the name of the show. It's SEC this morning or something like that. Our buddy Peter Burns, uh, Chris Doring on there a lot. The SEC morning show that airs on the Sirius XM uh, radio network. And Murray asked a question, I guess, about Alabama. And Murray expresses kind of a specific concern that he has for the Crimson Tide related to a guy that we're all very familiar with, Jermaine Burton, former Georgia wide receiver, now with the Crimson Tide. However, when Aaron Murray looks at that picture for Alabama this season, he doesn't see a fully rosy image. This is what Aaron Murray said on Sirius XM Radio this week about Burton and Alabama, what that could mean for the Crimson Tide. Here's the former Georgia quarterback. Can they find some playmakers around Bryce Young is is what we need to figure out you know who is going to be the guy that can take some pressure off him that can take a like I said a bubble can take a quick slant uh, and take it for a big play down the field so um, I think those are going to be issues that are going to have to continue to be answered this offseason you know obviously burn the transfer for Georgia uh, went to Alabama has been from all accounts the most consistent receiver at Alabama this year, I think he's a very good player. I think he's a smart player. He's a guy you can move around. I don't know if he has that consistent playmaking ability that we're used to seeing Alabama ha- receivers have the past few years. If Byrne is your number one receiver this season for Alabama, this will not be anywhere close to the explosive offense that we have seen in the past two or three years for Alabama. It won't. If Byrne is your number one guy, it will be a very good offense, but it will not be the explosive offense that we are used to seeing Alabama have over the past two to three years. So a couple of thoughts from Murray on Alabama there. Then I want to make this be about Georgia here for a moment. I do think that even though Alabama fans probably don't like what Murray says there, there is an element of that that does have to be considered at face value here. On the one hand, there are some people who seem to think, and this is not, like I said, tarnishing or trashing uh, Jermaine Burton. There's no need to do that. But there are some people who seem to think that Jermaine Burton will end up being 
Alabama's version of Jamison Williams this year. They bring the transfer, you know, Williams a year ago. He lights the world on fire, and now he's moving on to the NFL. And Jermaine Burton's going to be the next in line on all of that. However, it's important to point out, there's, in my mind, a pretty big difference between, say, Burton and Williams. You know, Williams at Ohio State was a talented receiver who wasn't playing very much because Ohio State had other talented receivers who were playing all the time. And so when he came to Alabama, that was the immediate value add for him because all of a sudden now he's on the field and he can show you what he's all about. In the case of Jermaine Burton at Georgia, and let's just be frank here for a moment, it's not that Burton wasn't playing. Burton was playing plenty. He just wasn't having the kind of outsized statistical impact that he wants. Now, you sort of get the impression that Burton blames that on having been at Georgia. We're about to find out if that's the case because, listen, I'm not quite so sure a guy that, uh, that played at Georgia, and I think that Aaron Murray says this correctly, who was good. Good. Burton's a good receiver. Nobody can deny that. But if he's expecting to go there and have the kind of Jamison Williams impact at Ohio State, that might turn out to be wishful thinking. And I don't think that Aaron Murray is incorrect necessarily when he says that. But beyond that, there's also this, and we've said this before, is that Bryce Young finds himself, the Alabama quarterback, in kind of an interesting situation here this year. It is very unusual for certain we haven't had a repeat Heisman Trophy winner since Archie Griffith was uh, running back at Ohio State before I was born it's been a long time since that's happened in uh, college football and with Young coming back as one of the odds on favorites to win the award the Heisman Trophy typically isn't very kind to favorites from this time of year whoever like the top favorites are in the spring and summer for the upcoming season for whatever reason by the time you get to the end of the year for the most part those guys just kind of end up not winning the Heisman Trophy so you know the notion that Aaron Murray says Alabama could take a step back offensively it would not be hurt unheard of in the annals of college football to have a uh, Heisman Trophy winner coming back in the hopes of repeating and end up having for whatever reason whether it be in up being injury which we can't really predict or just things not quite falling into place it would not be unheard of for Alabama to take a bit of a step back offensively I think that Bryce Young's a really good player but he's kind of working against history in in some respects when it comes to the upcoming season so I think that Murray's words about Alabama should be taken at face value especially when it really falls in line with a very consistent pattern for Murray and listen Murray has found himself at odds with some Georgia fans at time because the same way that Murray takes a slightly skeptical view of Jermaine Burton in an Alabama uniform, the truth is Murray has taken a kind of a skeptical view of of Burton when he was in a Georgia uniform there as well. I mean, over the course of time, we've had Murray on this show obviously plenty. He's done other interviews there as well. He's got his own podcast, and he's just talked about his belief that the Georgia receiving core, you know, I think the word he might have used in the past is just has been kind of average or kind of you know less than stellar he's had you know some some real questions about that so the notion that Burton now in Alabama Murray says eh if that's your best receiver you could be in trouble whether that's true or not that is consistent with the line of thought that the former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray has expressed in the past in fact let's turn this and make it be about Georgia here for a moment when we had Aaron on our show, Dog Nation Daily, a couple of weeks ago, I basically asked him that. Hey, Aaron, you've had some you know, pretty tough evaluations in the past of the Georgia wide receiver situation. What do you think about that group here right now moving in to 2022? And Aaron offered some thoughts with us here on Dog Nation Daily a couple of weeks ago. Here is more of him on that topic. I was talking to Bobo the other day, and he was just raving about A.D. Mitchell. And then, and, and, you know, A.D. is someone, too, when, when you see him in person, you see him out there running routes. He's one impressive individual, and I think the way he ended last season off, 
you saw a lot of confidence built from him. You know, I love Ladd. I thought Ladd had a tremendous year last year. Really that deep threat, the guy that you saw like in the SEC Championship game and other games, that can take some of those tunnel screens, make a couple guys miss, and create those explosive plays down the field. Um, so I, I'm looking for both those two to really step their game up another notch, which I think they can. Obviously, you, you, you pretty much throw Brock Bowers into the, the equation as well. I mean, Brock is a tight end. I mean, he, he's a receiver. Uh, he can do it all. Um, I think it's the most versatile position in, in college football. I think it's the most versatile position in all of sports right now uh, and, and when it comes to, to, to football in the NFL and in college. So to have a guy like Bowers that you can move around, create matchups, I, I think it's amazing. I think between those three, I feel very confident about what they can do. So that's interesting stuff from Aaron Murray there. And in the rest of the interview you heard a couple weeks ago, he's like, you know, listen, he basically acknowledged what he'd said about the Georgia receivers before. So to hear him offering praise for A.D. Mitchell, offering praise for Lad McConkey, offering praise for Brock Bowers, I think is a step in the right direction. It kind of leads you to wonder, in light of what, you know, Murray said about Jermaine Burton, had Burton played on G-Day Saturday for Georgia would the game have looked all that different? I don't like I said. This is not me disparaging Jermaine Burton because I think he's a good player. Um, but in terms of what Georgia showed you on Saturday, had the game included, uh, you know, you know Burton, would your overall feeling about the Georgia offense have been all that different? I think that most Georgia fans came away feeling pretty good, but the playmakers were on display. And by the way, that's out. That's without a guy that you just heard Aaron Murray talking about a moment ago, Brock Bowers, not even playing there in the game. And, you know, I think Georgia fans like certainly what they saw from Eric Gilbert. We talked about that yesterday and the emergence of Oscar Dell, the return to health of Dominic Blaylock, even to a degree, Kyrus Jackson there too, that in the post Jermaine Burton world for Georgia, I think there are a lot of fans who think, yeah, you know what? I kind of like these playmakers here pretty well. But this is one of those moments where honesty compels you to admit that in light of what Murray just said there, that McConkie's kind of a given right now and A.D. Mitchell's kind of a given right now and Brock Bowers is certainly kind of a given for you right now. You know, Kirby Smart did tell us on Saturday after the game that when it's all said and done, he is still waiting to find out what Georgia has after that, after those guys we just mentioned at the receiver position for Kirby, the rest of all of that is apparently still very much a work in progress. Kirby from Saturday. I think we got better. Like we got younger players better. We still aren't where we need to be. Like I'm, I really feel good, Lad and AD. They're they're, they're SEC wideouts. They can compete at a high level. But when you go past that, you got Marcus, who's done a tremendous job. Marcus is extremely smart. He can play all positions. So we don't have like okay, this guy's got a hamstring. Who's going in? You know, like we don't we don't have that. We've got to uh, grow that. We got to get Arian, Jackson, CJ, Denylon up to speed in days like today get them closer but they're not there yet we're not there yet we have to continue to grow you look at Aaron has an elite trait and we try to use that elite trait as much as possible um but we're not where we need to be at, at lot out and we got some more guys coming so we're gonna get some guys to help out so let's lay this out here for a moment because I think that what Kirby says there is pretty interesting that along the lines of Aaron Murray a moment ago who said hey by now you know what Ladd McConkey is by now you know what A.D. Mitchell is by now you know what Brock Bowers is Kirby says, yeah, but what about that next group? What if one of those guys get a hamstring? What if you have to make a substitution? How can you cultivate more at the receiver position? And he mentions a few guys by name. Marcus Roseme Jackson. Now, listen, that's a guy that I continue to be pretty excited about because, remember, 
this was a big time recruit in the class of what 2019 some of these recruiting classes start to run together for me after a while uh but this is a pretty big time recruit who suffered a real big time injury there at florida and man that's a hard thing to come back from 2020 season he suffers the injury there at Florida. that's a hard thing to come back from there at that moment in time but you know plenty of reason to believe he's way healthier now than he was at any point in time last year does he go back and show you some of the flashes that he might have shown you coming out of high school? I think that's a name worth considering as a possibility on that. He also mentions Arian Smith and that one elite trait that Smith has, the blazing speed. That was on display on Saturday at G-Day. He just ran past some guys. That's the kind of speed element that Georgia hasn't always had. What if that gets added into the playmaking story here for UGA? He mentions Jackson Meeks. It seems like there's a little bit of chatter around him. Uh, Terrence Edwards said some nice things about Jackson the other, other day on the show, and then Denial and Morris sat there as well. I mean, a lot of us saw Denial and play a lot at high school this past year for uh, North Cobb, and he made some catches. He, he's got that nose for the football a little bit. Reason to think that he could be, uh, you know, incoming player that plays a little bit for you. But overall, Kirby's overall sentiment, I think, is probably true. There is that given your givens, the, the tight end situation, the you know McConkey and, and Mitchell. What else can you add to that? What else from that group that I just described can you find as the emerging playmaker, including the return to health for Kiaris and, and Dominic Blalock and everything else? If you can find something or one or two things from that group there, young freshman type players or guys who've been in the program now hoping to be a little healthier and a little bit more impactful, it is not all of that crazy to assume that the collection of pass catching playmakers that Georgia could have this season could very easily rival what takes place at Alabama. From that standpoint, I don't think that Aaron Murray's words are misspoken when he does ask some questions about what Bama still has. Jai Hall's not there anymore. That was a guy they were going to be counting on, but he's transferred to Texas. We'll have more on that in a moment. You know, Burton is a little bit of an unproven commodity there. Obviously, Bryce Young's the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. But when you look at who he's throwing to, and when you look at what Georgia has as its potential repertoire of playmakers, I think a lot of Georgia fans just naturally assume they'll take the back seat to Alabama in a conversation like that. But in the year of 2022, maybe that's not going to be the case. We'll certainly find out soon enough. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management. And happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 945 for our first and 15. That's dognation.com, Dog Nation app only, please. And then after that, 10 a.m., we're on Allskate on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, however you want to get to us there on video. We're happy to have you with us. We are radio every day at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. And as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com, also Apple, Spotify, Google, everything else. A lot of different ways for you to connect with the podcast. We're really happy that you do that. By the way, huge thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management for uh, taking good care of us here on the program here today. And by the way, were you at Sanford Stadium on Saturday? Were you there for G-Day? If you were, when you're looking around that beautiful stadium that's never looked better than it does right now, don't forget the organization protecting that stadium from bugs and critters, from termites. That's our friends at Breda Pest Management. They are the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That means Sanford Stadium. It means Foley Field. It means the equestrian complex. As I said before, this is not just like the bugs or like the termites, which is a very important thing in the state of Georgia. you got to know you're going to deal with termites at some point in time, so you want to have your house protected so that's not an issue. But they're doing critters for you there as well. Like Today is the perfect example. This is like critter time of year because – 
it was like 30 this morning it's going to be like 70 later on that confuses like these like flying squirrels and all those like animals those rodents or whatever you want to call them like they're coming out and they're living their life because it's warm but then later on it gets cold they're looking for a place to go well guess where they're looking to go uh through some sort of poorly sealed element of your house into your attic something like that that's i don't even like to think about that but it's it's true it's one of those things that just kind of happens that is one of those things though that um our friends at breda pest management protect against when they say bugs and critters that we're talking about we're talking about we're talking about all of that uh they do it all they've been doing it since 1975 they got more than 125 people working hard for you on all of that so reach out to them online it's bredapest.com that's the website spelled b-r-e-d-a bredapest.com make sure you find them today all right let me do one more kind of like housekeeping thing and then we'll roll on the rest of the show so you've heard me now probably more than you care to uh, about the cruise next week. We're going to be in the Bahamas next week on board Independence of the Seas. We will have shows next week. So for those of you who are like, listen, I can't go on the cruise. I got to work. Just tell me, is Dog Nation Daily going to still be on the air next week? We will be. Uh, it's going to be slightly I mean, it's going to be, for the most part, what you're used to, but slightly different. I'm going to give you more information on that in the days to come. But just know this, as that we get ready to roll into next week, we will have shows. For the most part, it's going to be delivered in the exact same way that you're accustomed to, just slightly different. So more information coming up on that next week as Dog Nation Daily takes the seas with Royal Caribbean next week. Looking forward to being in the Bahamas. By the way, for those of you who are going with us, can't wait to be with you for all of that. All right, let's go around the doghouse here for a moment because... Uh, away from the subject of what was happening between the white lines on Saturday, I thought Sanford Stadium was just a really cool place to be with the championship rings being given out to the players and you know the the former NFL guys, or I should say the guys who were on their way to the NFL, the the departed players from last year's team. You know they were honored on Saturday. This was such a fun thing to see, and it was cool to hear Kirby Smart after the game expressed the pride that he has those guys had their moment and smart also i think in proper context talking about the previous players in the program under him that came so close and really laid the foundation for what that 2021 team was able to do it was just a great day in athens on saturday i love smart's words on those championship rings when it was all said and done this was kirby from the post game press conference i really liked this I was really proud of those guys, you know, getting to see them there today and uh, just the ovation they got means so much. I mean, those kids, those guys have given so much to this program. And there's a lot of guys. There's five-year, six-year, three-year guys. I mean, there's like it's, – it's, it's a random group when it comes to the number of years served here. It's not like they're all one class. They all came in across really three years. And uh, they, they, they've changed the culture, the work ethic. And you know, there's a lot of guys before them that didn't get a ring that were out there today too that they were part of that same success. Some of that ring is theirs. And I think the uh, the guys that got the rings would be the first to admit that. I mean, I just think that's really well said. And I've said this many times before is that, you know, Georgia was on a mission towards a championship for a number of years before it actually got one. And, you know, guys like Sony, Michelle and Nick Chubb and Roquan Smith and on and on you could go with those names. You know, guys like that did, I think, blaze a trail that made everything the 2021 team do possible they did help establish that culture on that and so 2021 will always be the national championship team but the seeds on that were planted far before that and i don't know it's just it's just really really fun and you see video there if you're watching on video of the current players getting their rings there as well it's always really classy how they come in the nice box like that and i don't know i mean you know, that Georgia G in a championship ring just looks every bit as good as I 
thought that it would. So uh, shouts out to Georgia for doing such a really nice thing in terms of how these Georgia players are getting a chance to celebrate. I, I, th- I think it's just great to see. Uh, Kirby was also asked, you know, like, what does this mean for recruiting now going forward? How does this help you in recruiting? Smart's been asked that before. And for the most part, it's kind of, you know, sidestepped that as a topic, kind of did the same thing again on Saturday. This was smart on how all of this provides a commercial for UGA recruiting. Here's what he said. I don't know how you measure that. I really don't know. It's hard to measure like what is the amount of boost it gives you. I don't know. I think it puts you in conversation with a lot of kids, but you can only efficiently recruit so many kids. So if it puts you in it with more, you better pick the right ones to be in it with, and you better hone in on who you want because um, otherwise you're just like shooting a big spread shotgun out there, just seeing what comes back to you. You got to narrow your focus. You got to know who you want to go after, the right kind of kids. And I think that's win or lose national championship game. That doesn't change, right? What we have to do in recruiting is what we have to do in recruiting. So um, I'm certainly glad that we won it. I'm glad that we won it for our fans, but I'm focused on forward. You know, I'm looking like in there, not in the rearview mirror, looking out the windshield straight ahead. I think that's true what Smart says there. I also think it's also true that a guy like say Dallas Turner I mean part of the reason why he chose Alabama he said this before is because he was impressed by their championship pedigree so I think the national championship success that Georgia has had certainly helps with some recruits if nothing else maybe this is the part that uh, no one wants to acknowledge maybe smart doesn't want to acknowledge this but it certainly helps eliminate a huge negative recruiting piece that uh, has existed against the program so from that standpoint um, I think it certainly can't hurt to be reigning national champion however ultimately what this is really about and I think this may be the sentiment that smarts has tried to express here is this really isn't about a springboard of the future this is about appreciating what was done in the present tense and you know the the status of national champions is not a thing that these Georgia players did to help Georgia get more good players in the future although it very well may work out that way this was something they did for their own legacy and and that's why when you think about turning the page and how do you get ready for the upcoming season you know like if you watch the Atlanta Braves their start to the 2022 season it seems like they've had a little trouble turning the page from having won a world series but I think sometimes in college football maybe it's just a little easier to do that because a lot of the guys who are going to be playing for Georgia this year while they have a national championship ring that championship in so many ways maybe didn't feel like it fully belonged to them the way that it did some of those guys who were playing a lot more than they did last year so I think it's easy to be looking ahead and not look in the rearview mirror because for some Georgia players, they're going to get a chance to do this year what they watched other Georgia players do a year ago. This is their chance to establish their own legacy here right now. And maybe that helps with recruiting. It kind of keeps the pipeline spinning. But ultimately, that ring is not a commercial for future Georgia players. It is the cementing of the legacy for current and former Georgia players. And I think that Smart's probably spot on when he says that. That is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. we got a lot to do on the show today. We're going to make fun of Florida here before it's all said and done uh, i think there's evidence the gators may be worried about some of the wrong stuff we'll do that also we've had a very very special interview on the program today we're gonna get a chance to check in with the college football and pro football hall of famer champ bailey had a chance to talk to champ the other day a really good conversation in particular one of the things that bailey gets into is how impressed he is with keely ringo how much he enjoyed seeing ringo help bring home a national championship and what he thinks that ringo could have in store uh for the upcoming season here for the dogs obviously champ would know when it comes to something like that so champ bailey before we're done today a very special interview with him here on the program but for now uh big news coming out of georgia yesterday a big 
guy has put his name in the transfer portal. Let's find out what that means and a whole lot more with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Past Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Aftermath of G-Day continues, but also kind of turning that page for the next phase of the calendar here for UGA, which in some form or fashion going to involve the transfer portal, either with comings or goings. Uh, we'll certainly uh, be on the lookout for all of that. We'll talk to Mike Griffith about that right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. Mike, good morning to you. Yesterday, Time and Mitchell – uh, who at one point in time I thought could actually be a pretty good player, George. I guess it shows you what I know. Uh, but at one point in time, I had decently high hopes for Mitchell. But uh, yesterday did put his name into the uh, transfer portal. And as I said before, you know, in some respects, there's some Georgia fans who are doing that scholarship count. They're like, well, Georgia needs to lose a player, too, if you want to get underneath that 85. And then you're also kind of left to wonder of, okay if Georgia's gonna be losing players is there a chance that Georgia's also bringing players in this is that you know kind of portal time of the year for Georgia this is the portion of the calendar they used in this regard a a year ago and I guess we're kind of in that phase now too as well yeah Brandon I mean they do need to lose a couple few guys to get under the number and to your point if they're going to bring some guys in you know maybe another DB uh, maybe another wide receiver uh, you know then yeah you know there needs to be a little bit of attrition I mean I guess the good news that I found out, and I don't know if it's a headline when you say you think you know that a guy's staying, but I'm pretty sure Darnell Washington's locked up. And, and to me, that was the one guy, that the big one that I thought could get away uh, because of the depth at the tight end position. But I've got some sources telling me that, uh, again, I don't think it's a, a headline story to say, that, hey, there's no news with this guy. But there has been a lot of speculation, so I think it's worth mentioning that, that it looks yeah. like Darnell is, is going to stay with Georgia. Yeah, it's one of those things where – yeah, you're like me, Mike. You do this more as a writer. I do this as as, as a person in a show. Sometimes you're kind of left to wonder, well, like, which rumors do you take seriously? Because, frankly, there's 8,000 rumors, and some of these things never turn out to be really anything. But in the case of Darnell Washington, there had been enough, like, speculation or, or, or hinting or, or whatever else that – you know, at least mentioning that, yeah, that is uh, the case that all is well here. That probably is a little more newsy in this respect than it might be in some cases, because if you're a part of message board culture at all, or if you're in comment sections like the ones on, on a show like this, or just reading the work that you're doing, people are kind of aware that those rumors have kind of been out there a little bit. So if that can be squashed, that can be put to bed. It probably seems like a, a good use of time because some of the stuff around him probably had been a little bit more substantial than just the typical run of the mill type uh, rumor mill type thing which runs wild on a number of topics this time of year just in normal situations yeah i mean you know you look at the situation at the position and you know we we saw brock bowers uh you know have a big season you know darnell was slowed by injury last year and that's part of the reason why brock did have such a big season was darnell had the foot at the beginning of the year uh and then you saw him you know again this spring out you're thinking man this has got to be frustrating for this guy to not be out there uh, when football players aren't playing football, it's, it's typically not a good thing. It's a, it's a big, it's like Brandon Adams not on the air. You know, that's a big part of your personality and who you are, and take that away from someone. Um, you know, it, it can be really difficult for a young person, especially if they're away from home. So, um, you know, the fact that you know that Darnell did that interview a couple of weeks ago, that that kind of perked my ears up. Like, oh, this is interesting. You know, talked about himself as a role player, uh, you know, dual threat, and it was everything you wanted to hear, but. You know, kind of taking things day by day, and, and from what I understand now, um, you know, pretty pretty secure. 
staying with Georgia and knowing his role. You know, he's not going to be the guy that catches 50 balls at Georgia next year. That's not going to be his role. He's going to be more the blocking tight end, who is also a threat and no doubt will be a red zone guy um, because you can't cover everybody, Brandon. I know these teams are – we saw that uh, in the scrimmage, you know, with uh, Eric Gilbert, you know, tough matchup in the red zone. Let me go back to Mitchell here for a moment because, you know, I think the situation for Georgia is – you know, you lose Trayvon Walker, that's a defensive end. You lose guys like Devontae White and, and, and Jordan Davis. And even a guy like Julian Rochester, you know, you, you, you lose, you know, guys like this. And yet, Georgia appears to still be really deep at, at defensive line. I mean, Zion Logue, I think, looks like a player. And a guy like Terry Ingram Dawkins made a name for himself. Uh, Warren Brinson's a guy I think you feel good about. Uh, Tremel Wathau was injured on Saturday, but that's a guy that I think ha- has a chance to be heard from that you know listen being as good as you were defensive line in 2021 if you're George's no no easy feat probably wouldn't predict that necessarily but falling off the face of the earth I wouldn't predict that either that Georgia defenses are typically good under Kirby Smart um, I don't see any reason to think this won't be a typical Kirby Smart defense for Georgia here this year and that even though household names are moving on to the NFL the cupboard is far from bare for Georgia along the defensive line so the fact there is a transfer out of that position group maybe in one respect unsurprising well i mean you just look at the g day and it didn't matter who was under center at quarterback i thought the first team defense did a really nice job i mean that you know the quarterbacks were under 50 percent. you know there were some turnovers the running game really didn't manufacture a whole heck of a lot you know we kind of came out of it everybody you know we always look at the quarterbacks but you know in hindsight you're like well wait a minute how about giving the defense a shout out i mean they had a little something to do with that you know and we wondered how that back seven would do with so many new players um, with, with inexperience. And I thought they represented really well. I thought they played really well. I thought the coverage was really good. You know, even on the, when, when, uh, on the second team, when uh, Beck went deep, um, the coverage was right there on Arian Smith. I mean, it's maybe the fastest guy in college football. There's a guy right in his hip pocket. So I was impressed, really impressed with the secondary, which is one of the areas without Lewis Dean that we wonder about, without Darian Kendrick. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Keely Ringo has improved greatly. We wrote about that. Champ Bailey obviously seeing the same things. Um, I, I think the secondary was a really pleasant surprise and, and really the first team defense in general because there's a lot of guys back on offense. Uh, let me change the uh, subject here to the other big story, kind of non-G-Day related. Uh, Amarius Mims, about face from him, coming back to Georgia here. To follow all this drama from the Tallahassee perspective has been – I mean, fascinating for all the wrong reasons. Mike, I'm the kind of person that sort of lives on college football message boards because of the kind of show that I do here. I don't know that I've seen – and listen, Florida State fans don't take much to get really, really angry. I don't know that I've seen a fan base showing teeth more than these Seminole fans are right now to some of their own folks down there for how this mem story got covered. Uh, Certainly seems like at one point in time there are a lot of folks down there that thought Florida State was going to get him, and now he's coming back to Georgia. What do you make of all of this? It's really, really hard to know. You know, I mean, you just don't know if there was negotiations, if you don't know what the family was telling Florida State. I mean, sometimes you, as a reporter, you can report the right thing and it turns out to be wrong. I mean, somebody can tell you. I mean, they could have heard from a coach that, hey, you know, we got really good vibes from the parents or they could have told them, yeah, we're coming and then changed their mind. I think there was a 
I want to say, I think Amarius might have lost a friend. I think there might have been a death near him yeah. uh, in the middle of this whole deal that, you know, you just don't know what types of things can factor into something like this, Brandon. So to your point, though, I think the night before uh, we learned that uh, the night before we reported that Amarius Mims was coming back, I'm pretty sure some website called War Chant uh, reported that Mims had committed to uh, Florida State. So, And maybe he did, and maybe he changed. So, you know, this is the gray area that uh, none of us really like, particularly when the guy's already on the team. I mean, the recruiting process is enough uh, with all the visits and kids committing and decommitting and going on other visits. And now are we really going to have to worry about this with 85 scholarship players from year to year? I think we need some um, guardrails. I think we need some contracts. I think if there is a free agency period or a transfer period, uh, we need some windows for that. Uh, Because right now, to your point, uh, it's exhausting. And Kirby Smart said himself, he's concerned that this is going to affect college football followers because this is not what a lot of college football followers, and including yourself, I remember you and I have had talks, you say, look, I'm a traditionalist. I know this is coming, but I don't like it and I don't want to talk about it. I think you're in the majority, and I think Kirby recognizes that, Brandon. Well, and you're right. I think there are room for differences of opinion on this, some kind of on some of this kind of stuff. And I do kind of find myself probably in agreement more with some of the stuff that Kirby said recently on this. But Mike, here's something that I think there is probably broad support for, even among people who kind of see the world kind of differently related to some of these modern college football topics is there's got to be some sort of sensible time frame about when you can leave as a player, when you can't, because even in pro sports where, you know, you know, you're saying you're treating these college players more like pros now, but in pro sports, it's not like pro football players can just move from team to team whenever they want to. There is some sort of contract. There is some sort of time frame when that's acceptable to do. But without getting too deep in the weeds and all this, when you start looking at, well, there's a transfer window, here's when it should take place. And it seems like that phrase is becoming a little bit more popular with potential decision makers and something like this. I think it's going to be hard, Mike, to kind of come up with a transfer window timeline that works for football and also works for academics, because at least theoretically, these guys are still supposed to be students. And some of the crazy transfer timeline stuff that you see is about moving to a new school so you can be in place when classes start so you can play football in the semester where all that's taking place. And I just think you know finding a way that you can find a timeline that works both for academics and athletics but also kind of bringing an end to some of this chaos it seems like there's probably more support for that than not you agree with that well i do and to your point uh, you know you already have uh some challenges with roster management uh between the first and second semester because you have the early signing date in there and then you've got you know players that may or may not decide to go pro so you got to take your early signees before you really know uh, how many of your players are going to enter the draft early uh, because the deadline for that is mid-January. So you got a mid-December early signing period. You've got a deadline for early entry in mid-January. And to your point, when would we, when would we apply this proposed transfer window? Would it, would, it, would it have to be after spring drills? Well, again, what you just mentioned, you know, teams are going to want these guys at a time when they can get them ready. So, Theoretically, they're going to want these guys to go through spring. So now you're adding a third element between the fall football season and spring football, and 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 that has to be within that academic calendar uh, in the first couple of weeks of January. So now we're talking, you know, beginning of December to the second week of January, somewhere in that window that it needs to transpire 
so that these players can be academically uh, eligible. So it is it is complicated. It's complex, and the other, and then the final thing is you got to get everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. I think that's the big problem, Brandon. I think we all agree, not just you and I, but I think conference commissioners and and you know school presidents, athletic directors, etc. I think everybody agrees that something needs to be done. Uh, but my goodness, we can't even get these conferences to agree on a playoff because of the SEC envy. Yeah. Um, we saw that alliance form. So, you know, can, can the Big Ten and ACC please grow up and recognize that these conferences need to work together, not just for playoffs, but in this uh, transfer issue right now? And to me, that's the biggest hurdle for college football is just getting some of these egotistical commissioners um, you know, to bury the hatchet and, and start cooperating for the good of the game. All right, let me finish with this, and we can make this quick. Uh, you and Connor Riley have a great series out right now, previewing a lot of these dogs who are going to be in the NFL draft. Of course, we'll be on board the Independence of the Seas next week when the first round goes down. <laughs> but uh, the draft is on hand next week, and Dog Nation getting you ready for a lot of those guys. Just give me kind of your quick thumbnail sketch here. You know, what's the like the main one or two storylines that you're looking at from a Georgia perspective as you head towards the draft? I know you're doing a lot of work getting ready for this. What's kind of on your mind about this, and what should Georgia fans be thinking about as we head towards next Thursday and then the weekend that will follow? Well, I mean, it's a glorious advertisement for the school because you're going to set a school record for the most number of players drafted, uh, maybe even a national record, Brandon. I mean, LSU had 14 picked after their national championship season in 2019. So the 2020 draft set the standard. And we're looking at maybe, maybe 15 dogs. Uh, you know, if, if Jake Camardi gets picked, if John Fitzpatrick gets picked, you could break the record if both get picked. I think you need one or two of those guys to get picked, and I think you'll tie the record. Um, also, just the quality of this. I mean, how many first-round draft picks are we going to see? The school record, three. I think we may see four or five. Um, and then finally, in the first two days, I mean, at the projection that I saw from you, and they're just projections, but it looked realistic. You could have seven defensive players, seven defensive players, ten total players, picked in the top 100 think about that ratio Mm -hmm. 10 to 1 when you're in a when you're in a sport where there's 130 programs to one you're you're what you're what's that a multiplier of you're 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 13 times better than the norm i mean it's just it's just a phenomenal class and it just goes to show the accumulation of talent and development at georgia and then brandon think about this jermaine johnson left yeah he could have been a first round pick i mean adam anderson uh, you know, with this, he could have been this defense. Kirby Smart has really loaded it up. So taking it full circle to where we began, maybe we shouldn't be so doggone surprised that the first team defense had their way because of the way Kirby has recruited and developed on that side of the ball, and they've all and they've done well on offense as well. Mike, uh, good stuff. Can't wait to be on board Independence of the Seas with you next week. Look forward to more of that draft coverage from you there as well. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Brady Pass Management here today. Appreciate it, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. We were showing the video of uh, Trayvon Walker. Uh, we have, in the industry, we call this B-roll. When someone's talking, you play video just to kind of make the screen seem somewhat more interesting and the uh, video we have of Trayvon Walker is a collection of stuff he did at Georgia while also stuff that we got from him while he was on the recruiting trail. And uh, I'll never forget, there was the one 
it's a touchdown club of Atlanta event that we were at, and Walker is a high school senior. He's being interviewed by uh, Jeff Sintel, and that's part of the little video package that we always show here. And I remember I was there that night, you know, working on behalf of Dog Nation, and Walker's wearing the purple and orange suit, uh, which looks better on him than it sounds like it would. Um, but I just remember thinking, oh, no, is that a Clemson-type deal from uh, Trayvon Walker? You know, like the uh, the uh, purple suit with the orange flare there? Is this some sort of signal that he might be going to Clemson? Well, yeah, there you go. Uh that was giving me off a little Clemson vibes there at the time. I'm also colorblind, but uh, but uh, that was kind of giving me a little bit of Clemson vibe there at the uh, moment on all of that. But no, lo and behold, uh, Walker ended up right where he should be at the University of Georgia, and the rest, as they say, was history. But it is so amazing, so amazing uh, how um, you see these guys go through high school. They, they you know they. they you know, come through college, and it just seems like all this happens so quick. We're actually going to have a guy on the show, I think, later on this week, who is also kind of at one of these type events with us over the years. And it's just, it's just amazing how fast these careers go by. I don't know if it feels like it goes by so fast for them, but for those of us who've got a few years on us, man, these careers come and go very quickly. Thinking back to Trayvon Walker before he was a Georgia player, as Mike was talking, kind of interesting stuff. By the way, speaking of Mike, he's going to be on board with this Independence of the Seas. We're going to be cruising with Royal Caribbean, going to the Bahamas here, coming up pretty soon and you're gonna hear uh us have such a great time talking about all the things that we're doing by the way uh ship completely sold out for the uh, upcoming cruise so that's kind of really exciting stuff uh but you know we're gonna be leaving out of port canaveral my recommendation is always you know port canaveral probably the easiest port to get to it's a relatively short drive from where we are here in the atlanta area and so when i cruise i generally go out of port canaveral just because it's easy and plus they have got a great selection of royal caribbean ships which is always really nice for me but we're gonna be going to nassau and the bahamas we're gonna be going to perfect day coco Cay. we're actually gonna do this i'll tell you more about our dog nation daily schedule later on we're actually gonna do dog nation daily from coco Cay, which i'm really excited about uh i think that's gonna be uh really fun it should be quite a scene there uh perfect day coco Cay. so i'm actually really excited about that uh and it's just gonna be a fun time and we're gonna have a good time on board we have some special events we're gonna be doing for the uh cruise with dog nation but just the general entertainment on board i'm talking about you know casino royale play a little blackjack little craps obviously there's all kinds of live music venues i told you before how much i enjoy that on the royal caribbean ships when you hear us talking about how much fun we're going to have i think it's an important time for you to remind yourself to get on board your own royal caribbean cruise ship as we head towards the summer our friends the cruise and vacation authority can help you do that but it's just going to be a uh, great time here with uh, Dog Nation on board Independence of the Seas with the Royal Caribbean coming up next week. Cannot wait for that. Monday, we'll do the show there from Port Canaveral. Then we'll get on board and set sail after that. All right, a couple of SEC through stories here before we talk to Champ Bailey in a couple of minutes' time. Believe me when I tell you, and listen, I know this is going to come across as me cutting a promo or this is going to kind of come across as me, the Gator hater, saying you know what you sort of expect me to say. But let me make this unmistakably clear. As it stands right now, Florida continues to be absolutely zero threat whatsoever to Georgia. Florida is not even on Georgia's radar at the moment. This was true under Dan Mullen. It continues to be true under Billy Napier. And I don't see any change coming on the immediate horizon that's going to cause that to be any different. Because for whatever reason, for as long as any of us can remember, Florida has just been worried about the wrong things. Maybe more example of that right now. Several of you have sent this to me. Florida has applied for a trademark for a phrase that Napier used in a in, in a 
on-field interview. I think we'll show this to you here. Uh, so Josh Gerben reports this. The Florida's filed a trademark application for scared money don't make money. He says the Florida coach Billy Napier went viral last fall after using the phrase to explain why he elected to go for a touchdown and not a field goal before halftime. Scared money don't make money uh, is what Florida's applied for the trademark for. So this is something that he said at Louisiana, but it's not even his line. Isn't this – now, listen, my, my knowledge of hip-hop could fit into a thimble. Isn't this Young Jeezy? Is Young Jeezy the one that did the scared money don't make money? This is almost like uh, – <laughs> Michael Scott quoting Michael Jordan. Uh, this is this is uh, Billy Napier quoting Young Jeezy and trying to uh, to to trademark the Young Jeezy quote here. I would say this is embarrassing. It's ultimately, probably not that big of a deal, but this is the kind of thing that Florida spends, seems to spend a lot of time worried about. Ooh, we're gonna trademark a, a, another hip hop guy's phrase. Uh, well, you know, we're we're, we're going to do all of this, and don't even think about Georgia here for a moment. Here's the, here, here's the issue that I I think is just so important to remember. The Florida's biggest issue is not what it's doing relative to Georgia. Florida's biggest issue is what it's doing relative to teams like South Carolina, who beat it last year, and uh, teams like uh, Tennessee, who somehow Florida beat. But you know, you look ahead next year, all of a sudden that could be a far different situation for these uh, for these Vols. That's the biggest issue for Florida. It's what's happening in other places in the SEC East, such as South Carolina, which has got Spencer Rattler at quarterback right now. Just had a huge crowd for uh, its uh, spring game. You know, Shane Beamer genuinely generating a good bit of support there. Um, not only do you have, you know, kind of a surprising first year level success for Josh Heupel, but they've got a Nico Imaliva coming in at quarterback. We're gonna have more on Tennessee recruiting here in a moment. That right now it just sort of appears that Tennessee and South Carolina have a level of program excitement with their own fan base that I don't think the Florida is currently matching. I mean, listen, around here we're always gonna say that a good Georgia fan is a gator hater first and foremost, and that Florida's going to be Georgia's biggest rival. We just believe that doesn't change very quickly. But in terms of who's a more immediate threat to Georgia in the SEC East, it's not the Gators. You may mention even Kentucky probably would because I expect Kentucky to have a better record than Florida here this year. So Florida can go around trademarking a hip hop artist's line that Billy Napier used while he was coaching at the group of five. I mean, they can go around doing that kind of thing if they want to, but that's not getting them any closer to beating South Carolina, nor is it getting them anywhere near the honest, authentic cachet that Josh Heupel seems to be establishing there at Tennessee. It's just not happening. Florida right now is an irrelevant program, and I don't see Billy Napier taking big strides towards changing that here at the moment. Here's an interesting story. So Seven Banks is an Ohio State defensive back, and in 2020 now ohio state played a short season in 2020 uh but in 2020 seven banks was playing at a very high level at that time i think banks would have been viewed to be a pretty attractive future nfl draft prospect now last season at ohio state he didn't play nearly as well and i don't think really anybody knows exactly why Maybe some of this was injury-related. Who really knows what? But seems to be right now a lesser player than he was viewed to be in 2020. But nonetheless, this is still a pretty attractive prospect. Well, Banks put his name in the transfer portal, and now he's going to LSU. And I said before, you don't really know which version of LSU Banks is getting. Is this the guy that played extraordinary for Ohio State in 2020 or the guy that was somewhat forgettable in 2021? We're not quite so sure. 
But for a program like LSU, which is not as deep a roster as you're used to the Tigers having, bringing in a player like this from Ohio State could make a, pure, a, a pretty big impact. It's not a perfect comp, but it's almost to me a little bit like LSU uh, getting Banks, a little bit like Georgia getting Darian Kendrick a year ago. Kendrick had kind of played in like, like at an all-conference level for Clemson, but had played poorly in Clemson's biggest game. So Georgia wasn't quite so sure which version of Kendrick it was getting, come to find out. It was more of the better version of Kendrick for the full season, and Darian was a big reason why Georgia won the national championship. Obviously, LSU doesn't have championship aspirations for this upcoming season, but for a program who's kind of teetering on the brink of is this seven and five or is it five and seven? You know, bringing in a player that at one point in time played at a pretty high level for Ohio State, these are the kind of under the radar transfers that do happen this time of year that can go a long way towards determining an extra win. I mean, the presence of a really high-quality defensive back, if that's what Banks turns out to be, that could be the difference in a winning record and not for a school like LSU in Brian Kelly's first season. This is a story that won't get a ton of coverage, but probably should at least get you noticing if you're trying to figure out who's what for the SEC for the upcoming season. Speaking of transfers, Jai Hall um, had taken visits to Texas and now officially has landed in the Longhorns program. I think this is the kind of experiment that a school like Texas is very comfortable with, and I don't mean that as a compliment. Hall wore out his welcome with Nick Saban very quickly at Alabama. Uh, Saban kind of basically the worst kept secret in the world was Saban didn't like Hall very much, didn't think he worked very hard, didn't think he uh, acclimated himself to the program very well. He had a little bit too much drama for Saban's liking there in Tuscaloosa, we are led to believe. Well, a place like Texas, as we've said before, just seems to cultivate drama on its own. Now you bring in a little bit of a drama farm type player. How is Hall going to to, to coexist there in the uh, Longhorns? That's a team, by the way, that's already had players on that team calling out other teammates for being a little bit too me first, a little bit too selfish, not really buying on the team concept. You then had Coach Steve Sarkeesian calling out the player who called out the other players. And all of this just happens very publicly. And into that powder keg, you bring in a Jai Hall, a guy who literally just burned a bridge in Alabama in less than a year. I think it speaks to the level of desperation that Steve Sarkeesian has to do something of some success at Texas very, very quickly. Otherwise, a lot of tough questions are going to start being asked about him. I've told you before, I don't know where Arch Manning goes. In other words, I can't predict right now he will come to Georgia, but I do feel pretty comfortable saying where he won't go. I don't believe he'll go to Texas. I think a savvy football family like the Mannings can see through the kind of silly drama that comes to define a place like texas i don't think the manning family will want any part of that so does that mean it's georgia versus alabama for arch manning could be the case but texas just doesn't feel like the kind of place that a family like the mannings who have plenty of choices and have the wherewithal to make good choices texas just doesn't kind of feel like the kind of place they would land we'll see how ajayi hall fits in on all of that and then finally there's this Tennessee gets a big commitment from an in-state prospect, a four-star edge rusher, and Caleb Herring. And, you know, let me say just this really quickly. There's obviously a lot of chatter right now about NIL as it relates to Tennessee. Largely believe that a huge NIL figures what won the recruitment of Nico Iamaliva and potentially, you know, you could have wide receivers joining up with him and suppose they're going to be spending big bucks and all of that. You've heard me express some skepticism about some of that in the past. But here's what I think is undeniable right now. There is a level of Tennessee recruiting momentum that should be noticed and it should be noticed for a couple of reasons because when Josh Heupel was at UCF he actually didn't recruit very well it was kind of weird that um that he got the Tennessee job when Danny White was hired as Tennessee athletic director because 
no one's ever denied that Heupel was a good play caller. He was offensive coordinator at Missouri, was good at that, and had a you know pretty well-functioning offense there at UCF. But he, I don't believe, was a very good uh, steward of the program, architect of the program, because he just wasn't recruiting very well down in Orlando. Well, he's recruiting pretty well right now in Tennessee. And, you know, when I think about a couple of years ago when, you know, Jeremy Pruitt used the pandemic news cycle as a way of building up a big recruiting class, got a lot of mainstream attention from people that don't really follow recruiting on a very close basis, uh, you know, other than when there's nothing else going on. And so Pruitt kind of skyrocketed to the top of the recruiting rankings, got a lot of attention from sort of like drive-by type, you know, mainstream media types. And we said at the time that this is smoke and mirrors. This doesn't mean anything. It's probably not going to last. I think there's an element of what Heupel's doing right now that does feel a little bit more substantial. Now, I don't know how much it grows into. Is it going to be like a top five, top ten type class for this upcoming year? I don't, I don't, don't quite know that. But I do think that whatever he's doing because it's being built around quarterback, I, I do think it feels a little bit more real than even the success that Jeremy Pruitt was having this time of year a, a couple of years ago. That hard not to notice that Tennessee's winning some recruiting battles right now that they haven't frequently won over the course of the last five or, or ten years. And Heupel, for whatever reason, maybe it is NIL related, for whatever reason, is recruiting better at Tennessee than he was at UCF. That's probably worth paying attention to. We'll make that your SEC through cruising around courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And by the way, before we hear from Champ Bailey, let me also remind you about a very fun thing we have going on right now. It's also the time of year we like to honor our mothers. We're heading towards Mother's Day. And here in the state of Georgia, we're still basking in the glow of a couple of championships. And with that in mind, we want to honor championship moms. Now, a lot of you know a championship mom. I feel like I have a championship mom. I'm very lucky for that. I feel like my wife is a championship mom to my kids, and I'm very lucky uh, about that. I am so thankful for her. The fact that she keeps the train rolling in our house uh, on a daily basis. And so, so many of you feel the same way. Some of you are now even able to look at your own daughter who's become a championship mom to your grandchildren. You don't take that for granted for sure. So whoever the mom is in your life that you want to honor, we can do that right now as part of our Kroger championship moms celebration here. So here's how it's going to work. You can win a uh, prize pack of gift cards worth $350. Kroger is helping us out with all of this. Uh, but there's also going to be gift cards to Bath and Body Works, Home Chef, and, of course, Kroger there as well. Plus, Sequest at Stonecrest is going to include four annual passports for each of our winners there, too. So this is a really impressive prize pack that our championship moms are going to receive. So here's how you do it. Nominate your championship mom by going to info at dognation.com. That's the email address. And whatever mom you have in your life, you can uh, nominate her there and tell us why she should win. Uh, we're going to let you do this between now and April 29th. Uh, and at that point in time, we'll draw randomly five winners. And then on Dog Nation Daily, heading towards Mother's Day, I'll tell their stories, courtesy of our friends at Kroger on all of that. So very simple. Huge prize pack to our championship moms. Nominate a mother in your life between now and April 29th. Go to info at dognation.com to do that. And then I'll have a good time telling their stories, announcing our winners on the air as we head towards Mother's Day with our championship mom celebration, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. With all of that said, hope you enjoy here on our program the great former dog, the Hall of Famer, Chan Bailey, right now. And here on Dog Nation, happy to be standing with the Pro Football Hall of Famer. Obviously a former Georgia Gray, but man, sounds so good to be able to say that. The yellow blazer hanging in the closet. Uh, how's life been since you've been able to say you're now enshrined in Canton? It's been great. You know, not only did I go to Canton or get my jacket, 
You know, I'm in the College Football Hall of Fame now, and my dog's a national champ. So it's great to be a Bulldog right now. Life has been pretty good for Champ Bailey these Absolutely. days, right? Absolutely. Well, we've had a chance to talk to so many great former players of Georgia, and so many of them have kind of expressed their feelings about this. What was it like for you to be able to watch Georgia bring home that national championship? Obviously, you know Kirby well, but what was it like to be able to see the dogs finally get it done? Well, special moment. I mean, I think as a dog fan, we all know it's been a long time coming. And to wait 40 years to get a sniff at it, I mean, it feels great. And I think it's funny because when Kirby got here, I'm always, I was like, okay, he's a young coach. We're not just going to turn that switch on all right away. But I knew he was a championship coach, and only time would tell. So it was good to see him get it before too long. I'm guessing it may have been a little extra sweet for you, knowing that the moment that seals the deal is an interception, a pick six. Absolutely. For a guy like you that made a living doing that, to see Keely Ringo come out and do that, that had to be even more fun. You know, absolutely. It, you know what's funny is I connected with this kid when he was in high school, not knowing that he would, you know, be what he is. It's just I heard about him, connect, just sent him a note, and then to see what he's doing now and the future that he has coming up for him, I mean, I'm so proud of it, man. And to see him seal that deal for us, I mean, he's forever a dog now. So for guys like Keeley and other guys in the secondary, obviously a lot of talent, high-rated recruits, and yet so much of the early stage of their college career about learning how to play the game, much the same way you did. Right. I mean, when you do talk to guys like this, whether it be Keeley or others, you know, what do you tell them about you know, becoming the best version of themselves of players as they can be? How do they go out and take what is obvious talent and turn that into kind of the polished, finished product which you became? Well, put in the work. I mean, I think I, one thing about my, my career, I love to practice. I used to love it. I used to, I mean, it was, it was hard at times. I would say 20% of the time I didn't want to do it. But I love competition. I love competing. I love polishing my game. So just you just got to love the work. And you put the work in, the results will come. Because talent only takes you so far. But you, it's, your, it's your mentality. It's the physical ability. All those things you got to sharpen to be a great pro finished with this today with G-Day, Georgia kind of turning the page, kind of a new era now. They're reigning national champions, which means right. that you get used to having the bullseye in your back and now people are chasing you. Right. You know, as a player, how do you adopt that new mindset of now for a young player, I've got to go out and win my own national championship or I've got to take that next step. You know, what's it like now being the team that's kind of accomplished the big goal, but now looking to come back and do it all over again? Well, understanding how Kirby minds work, mind works, like, he's not even going to let you think about what you've done. It's all about what you're going to do now. So the work they put in now is so important to their season. You don't have time to focus on what you've already done. I just know if they take his lead and they dial in, they'll be right back in that game again because it just takes that process of spring, fall, in, the, in camp. I mean, just day in, day out, putting it in, putting it in the bank, and then getting it uh, – Getting the receipts later just from wins. I'm telling you, that's how you grow a championship team. Chan Bailey, you had a great career. You're obviously a guy that still knows a lot about the game. Congratulations on everything. And I know you got a fun podcast stuff going on. How can some folks find out about that? Well, UGA Football News. We're all over. I mean, find us on social media as that, UGAFootballNews.com. I mean, it, it's Chris Hall, Matt Hall, passionate dogs, Chris Burgett, smart businessman, former Bulldog player. So I'm, I'm – I'm linking up with people that I already have mutual interest with. It's an easy combination. We all want to celebrate this G. That's what it's all about. Hey, Champ, great to talk to you. We'll see you soon. Uh, good stuff there with the great former Georgia Bulldog, Champ Bailey.
All right, a few things about the interview. First of all, my undefeated streak of screaming into a microphone when we're not in the studio continues unabated there, uh, unnecessarily screaming. I don't know why I do that, but uh, for whatever reason, when we're in kind of a crowded environment like that, when I don't have headphones in, when it's not a you know studio environment, I just have a tendency just to scream too loud, and I'm just poor Champ Bailey. Like, just, I'm just standing there just screaming into his face. So uh, that continues uh, unabated. Uh, the streak on that continues. Also, for those of you watching a video, Champ is a cool dude, obviously cool enough to wear sunglasses indoors, but he actually was not wearing the sunglasses before the interview. He actually put the sunglasses on for our interview because in a situation like that, you got a lot of bright, we have, you know, like bright lights and things like that so to make the video a little bit more, you know, presentable. <laughs> Champ thought our lights were a little bit bright, so he put on the, uh, the uh, lights for the interview there, which was uh, really good. Uh, obviously, listen, if you've got the yellow jacket hanging in the uh, closet, if you've got the Hall of Fame ring on, if you sign your autographs HOF at the end and he can sign his double HOF, if you want to wear sunglasses indoors, if you want to do anything you want to do at that point in time, you've probably earned the right to do that. So good stuff from Champ Bailey there in that regard. And then finally, there's this. I mentioned the concept of B-roll a little earlier. The, the Trayvon Walker B-roll. There was also a little bit of Champ Bailey B-roll that was running during that interview. That's the kind of production value we try to provide for you here around Dog Nation. I find myself once again asking the same question that I ask all the time. How is it that the uniforms, the silver britches, have just gotten so much less silvery over the course of time? Like the uniform that Bailey's wearing and the action shots we were showing him a moment ago, like did they throw those away? Like why don't they just wear those pants? Like like I don't I honestly don't understand like how the uniform silver britches color has faded so much over the years. I've never gotten look at this like like that's an honest to goodness silver, is it not? I mean, I know the it's a little bit of an old photograph because it's from the 90s, but like that's a true silver right there. Like did they throw these pants away? Like why don't they just wear them? I, I really don't get what that's about, but um, I'd like to see that come back because. That's a sharp uniform. Now, listen, uh, I know Coach Donnan took a lot of grief for putting the black stripe down the helmet. I don't love that either. Uh, but the britches, I'm a fan of. Uh, the silver britches, I'd like to see those come back. So uh, great stuff from Jan Bailey. And by the way, how cool is it to hear him say that, hey, he had connected with Keeley Ringo. He you know, kind of had a little bit of a bond with Keeley. And then lo and behold, he gets a chance to watch Keeley Ringo bring home a national championship with his alma mater. Uh, that was great from Champ Bailey. Uh, one of the cool things we get to do around here from time to time is catch up with uh, true legends, and no mistake in it, Champ Bailey is one of those. And it was really fun to get a chance to speak to him there on Saturday, his thoughts about the George Bulldogs. Let me also remind you about my thoughts about Finnish Long Drink. And by the way, by now you know my thoughts on Finnish Long Drink. It is delicious. As you're heading towards this <laughs> – you think there are going to be some finished long drink consumed on our uh, cruise coming up here? I'm guessing there probably will be. Uh, certainly whatever you're doing, spring, summertime, finished long drink goes great with it. But you say, well, B.A., I've heard you talking about it, but I haven't tried it yet, nor do I know how to. Well, let me make it very easy for you. If you go to the longdrink.com, you can put in your zip code right there at thelongdrink.com, and you can find out where you can pick some up. You can also read more about the story about how the Finnish long drink came to be. It's actually really interesting. You know, This comes from Finland. In the 1950s, the summer games were there. The Finnish long drink was kind of established then as a way of celebrating that great moment, and it's been popular over there since then. It's been here in the United States of America for a couple of years, and now it's right here in the state of Georgia, wherever you are. So you can try the traditional, which is a blue can. It's a gin kick, grapefruit flavor. There's long drink cranberry. There's long drink strong, which is 8.5% alcohol by volume. There's long drink zero. That's no carbs, no sugar. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail, which means it comes in a can. You can either pop the top and just 
pour it into a glass or just you know drink it it's a mixed drink that's kind of mixed for you it's ready for you to enjoy great gin kick uh plenty of flavor to go along with that there as well make sure you try some today it is the finish long drink And normally here on our program, when we do our golden shoe time, it's usually a time of fun. We're laughing about something, either laughing at ourselves or laughing at somebody else. But every now and then it's something a little bit more serious. And I'm always very grateful that those of you who are part of our audience share what's happening in your lives. And sometimes we're celebrating the births of children or grandchildren or whatever else. And sometimes we're doing the, you know, the opposite on that, too, uh, giving condolences to those who've lost loved ones. Our, our, our great friend Miriam Corbin, who's such a great commenter for uh, so many of the shows that we did, she sent me a message here on this. And as I said before, I'm always grateful when people um, let us know what's happening in their lives. She says, if you have time on Wednesday, please give a shout out to the family of my dear friend, Daryl Dog Dickerson. She says he's a Georgia grad, season ticket holder since the 1950s, Korean War veteran, true Southern gentleman, Christian, and my dear friend of 30 years. He passed away Monday. I'm heartbroken. Miriam, I'm so sorry for that and for your loss there as well. And I admit what I said before. I am so grateful that so many of you do share with us what's going on in your life. And listen, when you're a Georgia fan, as long as some of us have been, you share those moments alongside your friends, your family, and we do lose some good ones, man. Uh, we, we do. So... To, to the family there and to Miriam, to you, uh, our prayers for you and for all of you who, you know, go through tough times. Uh, we want to try to be here for you on our show each and every day. So we appreciate you uh, allowing us to do just that. By the way, as we say goodbye to you, how about a Gator Hater Updater? 4,850 days since Florida has won a national championship, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. And then a Gator Hater Countdown back in Jacksonville for those dogs. 192 days from right now. We'll see you tomorrow here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. And on the podcast, I'm now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. Of course, we take your comments here on dognation.com and on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. So I realize that Clay Travis is not everybody's cup of tea, possibly, but he has an interesting piece up. I saw this on Twitter um, where he basically talks about the future of sports and streaming and talks about his son wanting to watch a Braves game, not being able to do that. Now, listen, when it comes to streaming issues and out-of-market availability, Major League Baseball has had its own issues with that for a long time. But this also kind of touches on something that either I wanted to talk about before, maybe I have talked about this briefly before. Like, I am a little... I guess concerned about what sports is going to look like as more and more of the sports content shows up on streaming. Like I'll give you a for instance on this. Maybe I mentioned this. If I am repeating myself, I apologize. But the other day I was watching the NCAA tournament and at the same time, the NCAA basketball tournament was taking place on regular television. The Georgia baseball team was playing, uh, I think we're playing Mississippi state, you know, baseball series and that was streaming on sec network plus which i can access through my tv but here's the point though it's like it is very hard to go back and forth between like a streaming event and a tv event like the way in which if you're just watching regular television you can go from channel to channel to channel um to go back and forth between a stream and a and a tv channel it does not function quite the same way and it's not the end of the world I mean, it's not impossible to do that but it's not super you know uh it's not frictionless that's not a frictionless thing to do there and we are about to enter into a world as i said before where more content's going to be streaming like a couple of years ago every sec spring game was on television last couple of years last year there was just one game that was on regular cable tv and 
Um, this year, I think it's a couple, you know, in total. Most everything is kind of streamed now. Uh, in the NFL, the Thursday night package is going to be streamed this upcoming year on Amazon. I believe Apple TV is Apple Plus, whatever it's, their thing is called, is about to get the Sunday ticket away from DirecTV. And I'm not going to try to oversell this as, well, it's impossible to watch sports when it's streaming. But there is something about the stream that seems to work better for a movie or a binge watch or something like that. But in sports, especially on a college ball Saturday where you're kind of bouncing from game to game to game, if your team's not playing, then I don't know that streaming just functions quite so well for that. Like, I don't know that I'm all that excited about the future of sports on streaming video. And I think that Clay kind of touched on a couple of interesting topics of that. Now, on the flip side of this, because the Internet bandwidth is somewhat limitless, you have a lot more options available to you. You want to watch Georgia softball? I think you can see that pretty much every game there because of the the extra streaming for the SEC network. You want to watch gymnastics or obviously baseball, you know, things like that. You have more content available to you. That we would say is a good thing. But the process of streaming, um, up to this point in time, I have not seen how that's necessarily better than what sports on TV has been for most of my lifetime. But that does seem to be the direction we're heading on all of this so that should be uh pretty interesting to see all right so we'll be back tomorrow thanks for being here for rs andrews cool down y'all find them online rsandrews.com for your air conditioning heating plumbing electric needs and also our rs andrews uh cool down after that it is a uh, dog nation daily presented by breda pest management we will see all of you again tomorrow